Welcome everyone, and thanks for joining us today. Um, as usual, we'll kind of do like the regular chit chat for the first five minutes because we know um, people typically tend to, to trickle in as we go, even though we already have um, quite a few folks in here. Um, I'm thrilled to um, welcome Jeff from Market Muse. Thank you for being with us. Uh, excited to have you here today. Um, maybe as we start, I mean, do you want to give us maybe like a quick, uh, um, quick overview of you know your role at Market Muse, uh, what Market Muse is, and how that role uh, has evolved over time? Sure. So uh, yeah, my name is Jeff Coyle. I'm the co-founder and chief strategy officer at Market Muse, um, and what. Uh, Market Muse is a content intelligence platform that really sets the standard for content quality. So we inform teams on what content they should be creating, what they should be updating, and we do it through the lens of content quality and comprehensiveness. I'm really giving you predictable return on investment, you know, insights. So we can say, hey, if we if we need to go have the quickest wins for content today, we need to go write articles about these things and then taking it all the way to the last mile, building out outlines and content briefs for writers. I'm even giving them insights on how to update and improve their content. Um, my background, I've been in the search engine optimization, lead gen, lead management. I've built products in lead management um, over the last 20 plus years. Uh, I think on May 1st actually is 22 uh, years, which is a little bit scary. Um, and uh, so I've kind of generated millions of leads managed millions of leads, uh, also worked in the content strategy, search engine optimization, um, and intent game uh, for a very long time too. So that's really going to guide a lot of this discussion. And um, one of my passions is lead management. And that's why I love Matt Kudu and, and, and everything that you all stand for. Um, but yeah, anything that relates to content search, lead gen, conversion rate optimization is, uh, has, has been my entire adult life. Nice. Uh, and thanks for the, the shout out. I guess not not a question that was necessarily planned, but as we're waiting for sure. uh, more folks to come in, I'm curious, like, how do you feel about the whole um, GPT-3 thing that's happening right now? Where I'm starting to see like a lot of buzz around like, oh, like GPT-3 is going to write your outbound emails, it's going to write your content. And I think um, our marketing team was even showing me like one of these tools that now supposedly you give it a brief and it's actually going to write content for you. Um, yeah, just curious, like kind of what are your, your thoughts on that? Um, so there's two leading providers in that market uh, and it's uh, of data sources. And one of them is uh, OpenAI. Uh, they created GPT-3. Um, and the other one is MarketMuse um, and our MarketMuse first draft offering. Um, we've built uh, a solution where the brief that we build in MarketMuse, if you're familiar with uh, those briefs, can be injected and we build a trained language model that can give you inspiration for content. The difference in that in, in GBT3 is it's you're giving it a bit of a prompt. Uh, it's a third party. Um, all the applications that are being built on this, there's entire companies being built uh, basically, and all they have is an API uh, relationship with GBT3. They don't, they haven't actually built GPT-3, they're just customers effectively. Um, so they're basically buying uh, buying access to this data feed and they're, turn and they're turning it into beautiful experiences in editors, you know, informing on, on text. Um, the, the biggest outcomes of this are really that the market for low quality content has really gone away um, because you can go generate low quality content. So if your business is writing really poor, low quality content, you can get that now real quick. Um, and the next real innovations are going to be, how can we change the way people think about 
um, generated content. So they use it to their advantage. They use it to add value. They use it to fast track boring research processes. Um, they use it to inspire them to, to actually use their expertise and use their, uh, you know, their art focused on production value. Um, and I think what you're seeing now is a real big wave and buzz about, is this going to, you know, like replace where, you know, where Market Muse thinks about it as a way to augment and amplify. Um, Cause I would really love to be able to actually get all the content that I want to write this month done. And I'm always behind. I'm always so short. Um, and so any way that I can fast track that, but do it with confidence. I don't want to publish 20 terrible articles. I want to publish 20 beautiful articles. And if I can reduce the time that I spend doing any of those boring tasks, that's a win. Um, so I think that the mindset of woo, wow, shiny on this is going to wear off. And then the folks that really understand that they can use this as a way to fast track these mundane processes or ones that, you know, where you have a resource. I don't want my expert writers and my subject matter experts and my editorial leaders. I don't want them doing keyword research. I don't want them doing, you know, a, generic processes that any old person can do. Um, I want them really applying their knowledge. I want to harness their expertise. I want to inspire them, remind them not to forget a topic. You know, I want to do things that will make sure that I get the best page out the door. And that's a big difference in, I want to get a lot of stuff out the door because that's not going to work in the long run. That's building a house of cards. Yeah, no, no, I think it's uh, it's really interesting because I think like we like having two companies that are both like play in the AI space and in marketing, like there is like, there was like in the early days of, of lead scoring and like bringing intelligence to marketing. There's also this pipe dream that you could have kind of like some deep learning algorithm that would do everything all the way to actually like closing deals. And you know, what it comes down to is like figuring out like within that particular job that you have to do, what are the components that are very data heavy, and that can yeah. be automated by a tool rather than trying to take this like end-to-end approach of saying, we're just going to have everything outsourced to a computer. Um, I think we're very far away from the days of um, the Terminator and we're more going to be in like having different AIs that are excellent at doing very specifically defined tasks to enhance um, the job that is being done uh, by experts. So I think it, it's like a part of automation, right? You still need someone to kind of oversee this and design it um but then like the ai can enhance and i think that's why like there's something interesting in in a difference of thinking of just just use gpt to generate content versus use ai to actually um feed some of the sources some of the like as you said like the keyword search like all that this like very like kind of data intense um components of writing content um and anyway i think it, it, it's a fascinating topic and i, I know we could um, we could spend hours on this, um, and maybe um, we'll jump right in. I'll share my screen just for um, a couple minutes because we have a couple slides that we want to go over. So, uh, folks that are here, thanks for, again for joining. Uh, feel free to say hi in the chat, introduce yourself, where you're from, uh, and please do feel free to um, use the chat as much as um, you would like to. Um, we're uh, yeah more than happy to take questions. And um, we, um, yeah, the way you can do that, either post them directly in the chat or there's actually like a, a little question uh, section in um, 
live storm. So feel free to do that. Um, most likely we'll answer the questions towards the end, but if there's anything that's really relevant to like the specific uh, topic we're addressing, then uh, we'll absolutely um, talk about that at that point. Um, the reason you're all here for, uh, or all here for uh, beyond uh, Jeff's awesome insights, of course, is to win a drone because we're soon going to be able to go back hiking. Uh, so today I think is the last session um, that kind of um, gives you a chance to win that drone. And I think the new um, the new giveaway is going to be announced by our awesome team in a few um, in a few weeks, and the winner will be notified uh, next week. So stay tuned for that. And um, without further ado, um, we can stop sharing screen and um, go right into um, you know the, the content that we had here. And I think I, I'm you know kind of really excited to have Jeff over for uh, I would say kind of two core reasons within the context of our Mops Confessions. The first one is as a founder, I think you have a very interesting perspective on how can you know marketing ops and even to some extent rev ops folks kind of elevate their level of you know exec visibility and and how does a how would you you know coach marketing ops to to talk to executives and the second part that we'll dive into is the whole intent thing because um as jeff mentioned he has like extremely um you know intense uh, knowledge about intent so it's something that we'll dive into so yeah, on, on the first question, I'm just really curious, like as a founder, um, what is like, you know, like tips or tricks that you could give to marketing ops folks who are listening on how to, you know, engage with the C-suite and, you know, not be perceived necessarily as just someone who's doing like very tactical uh, work? Yeah, I think that one of the things that I, um, you know, think critically about uh, is, how the other leads on the teams, the other teams, so cross-functional teams, how, how, what do, how do they think about um, what I, how I do my job? A big part of that is, you know, a lot of it, a lot of times when you're in marketing operations, it leads to well, your outputs instead of your outcomes. So it's, I publish this much content. I get this many leads. This is my funnel, right? Or something like that. And what I like to always kind of ask them what they think my channels are um, and, uh, and kind of get an understanding of uh, an empathetic understanding of maybe where there's misalignment across teams. Um, and I'd like to get gather all that information to be able to speak critically to the C-suite um, and see what misperceptions I may want to lead with and what, like branches uh, between teams that may have some misalignment as to the value that our marketing operations brings. Um, one great example, and I, and I work a lot in content, but I also, um, you know, uh, prior to transitioning to being a chief strategy officer, where I'm focused on new innovations, as well as um, uh, our competitive landscape and horizon scanning, where we're going to be in two years, right? Um, I manage both the marketing teams and the and the product teams at, at Market News. Um, and so I was managing our lead funnel um, and with our VP of marketing, who's amazing and and knows this stuff like the back of her hand. Um, and what we constantly would communicate and figure out is what is what about our funnel do people not understand? What about the way that the channels and where things are coming from do they not understand? Um, and what about the way that that happens is still out there? And I'll give you a great example of this. Um, a lot of times in content creation, um, 
when uh, the executive team is only focused on leads, right? Demand gen, right? And they will not prescribe value to other sources of traffic. They'll never, they won't prescribe value to traffic that you generate maybe for your thought leadership materials or your comparison content, or even your post-purchase, you know, champion development content or your customer focused content, which is so valuable. And you're producing all of this stuff so that you can grow thought leadership on topics. So to be the expert in the space on automated lead qualification, let's just say, right? I need to write content that tells the story that I'm the expert on lead management, that I'm the expert on lead qualification, that I'm an artificial intelligence expert. And I need to write content that goes to the entire, all the stages of the funnel. But if my C-suite's only looking at that lead number, they're not getting why I'm doing the work. So for marketing operations, I always like to figure out, well, how do you think it works? Everyone, how do you know the CEO? How do they, how do you actually think this works? Um, and try to bridge that gap and bridge that and continuously act to bridge that gap. Um, another great example is uh, quali- lead qualification versus nurturing um, versus looking at you know demographic data and uh, activity data or third-party intent data, as we're going to talk about a little bit. Um, and I think that most C-suites still believe that the only action to take is um, almost like a, a qualification step based on a list of criteria, <laughs> you know, a static list of criteria. Um, and so they may ask questions, oh, how many of your top of funnel leads, you know, marketing operations lead are in our ICP? My question is, what do you think our ICP is, <laughs> right? And, and, and in going through that, and when I say ICP for anyone, it's ideal customer profile. Sorry, I'm an acronym, I'm acronym machine some days. Um, but, uh, you know, it's making sure that you know what they know and you might know where they, we, they might have a disconnect and you're not teaching them, really. You're trying to build like empathetic bridges between what they what they think they know and what you're the work that you're doing. And I, I think a big, big thing is focusing on outcomes over outputs is a big, big step uh, in marketing ops. And I, and I think that valuing everyone else's work is beautiful. Um, and, and that's where, gosh, uh, the misperceptions abound in marketing ops. It's, you know, whether it be email, uh, whether it be BD, what do your BDRs do? Uh, whether it's, you know, what is lead nurturing me? Um, and making sure that everyone values those outcomes uh, and, um, and and treating it that way versus what you did. I think marketing ops, because it's operations, right? A lot of people get stuck in the, it's, it's what I did. Um, and it's the outcome that might be the KPI. But I love going through and saying, here's the outcomes of the work that we did. Um, it's maybe not only the KPI. Um, and Here's why this thing that you may not, you may think it's a secondary or tertiary relationship to top line revenue, Um, but that's okay. As long as you understand how a bill becomes a law, we're all going to be respectful of the work that we're doing. You're not going to come in and tell me what to do next time you have a, you know, a bug in your bonnet. Uh, And that's uh, unfortunately what happens a lot with marketing operations teams. They become order takers. Um, and the more we understand uh, why, how people think about marketing from outside departments, 
the less we become order takers. In content, and this is my last part of this, in content, this is critical because many people think that they have the authority to place an order for content. Um, and if you're a marketing organization and you're re receiving orders and processing them to get content live, the thing you are not being is strategic. Um, you are an order taker. Um, and so if you're in that space, one way out is to truly understand why they think that that's a good idea, what they think content contributes, how does it drive outcomes? Um, and the answer to that question isn't landing pages and lead capture. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I think it, it's, it's super interesting because it's this twofold thing of saying, well, like the, the outcome is what's the most visible, but the outcome only exists because there was a business question that we were trying to answer and or a business challenge that we're trying to solve. And I, I find that oftentimes um, a lot of the, you know, mops or even RevOps folks that, that I speak with kind of lose sight and lose track of what was that starting point. And I think, especially when you're interacting with the C-suite, it's really critical to go back to, look, this is like the, you know, what we were trying to solve and, um, we had hypotheses on how to solve it, and this is why we implemented this. And now the outcome either validates and validates, or potentially even doesn't give us any information as to like how right the hypothesis was. Um, but that's yeah something that I, I see a lot of struggle because it might feel like the strategy is like ten percent of the day to day, and you know building. I mean, you know, building a company is ninety percent building a company, and not that much strategy at the end of the day. Like you have to do stuff. Um, but it's important when you're talking to the C-suite to kind of abstract that layer of complexity and, and talk more about, you know, this was the strategy that we implemented. Um, and, and I'm curious because you, you touched upon it a couple of times. And I, and I know this is something that I, I would, yeah, I feel like every single marketing team in the world struggles with is when you're talking to, especially to a CEO and let's say in a, you know, smaller organization, um, content like any kind of BOFU metric is typically kind of discarded as, as not relevant. And it's like, okay, great. Like we're generating these content leads that are like potentially even good ICPs. But at the end of the day, you know, where, where are my SQOs? Like where's, where are my demo requests? Where are my SQOs? And how, right. um, yeah, how can either mops or even just like marketing address that question and, and to some extent kind of help um, the C-suite, you know, potentially if the C-suite is not like doesn't have that strong of a background in in marketing, like understand that you can't just shove people into a demo request. Yeah, and, and it all comes down to everyone being on the same page, at least to some degree about the customer journey. And you have to have your brand there throughout the journey to make the and I, I you know to make the flypaper at the top, at the bottom of the funnel, real sticky. The more coverage you have and the more times you cross paths, the more trust you've built, the more they view you as an expert, a source of uh, advisory, um, and as the thought leader in these spaces, the more times they trust you and they trust your advice throughout that process, the stickier and the stickier and the stickier that uh, bottom of the funnel is going to get. Um, and so, and their expectations for you is it gets higher and higher that you're going to follow through with your offering. Um, so that urgent moment. So the, the other example I'll use is, is to say, you know, if, you, if you've never written anything about lead management and you go write the best thing ever written, 
right? And you go, it's a long form guide. It's covers, if you think is the best thing, it's 10,000 words. It's, it's, it might as well. And you go put it on francisblog.com. It's not going to do very well. There's a reason for that. You don't have any existing authority on those topics. But if you throw it on Matt Kudu's site, you have a greater chance of performing. That's your competitive advantage. That competitive advantage doesn't just happen. It requires that infrastructure be built. And what I hear a lot on from C-suites as well as from demand gen teams is our earlier of the earlier stages of the funnel content isn't as important. Um, and they're not valuing the value of nurturing, first of all, but they're also not valuing the fact that you have to show them that you actually have that knowledge. You have to be there a lot of times. These people are not only landing on your landing page and converting and then becoming a customer. That isn't a, the buyer journey. And if they, anyone thinks that's the buyer journey, they need more information. Um, because if you don't have that content on your site, if you just got a product page and a lead form, where are they getting their information to make that purchase decision? From your sales team? Okay, maybe. Most likely they're getting it from other sources. And so if you want the world to be educated by other people, it better be like a concerted affiliate strategy. Um, if you want them to be uh, educated by your competitors, if you want them to be educated by aggregators, by review sites, by other things, they're going to go do that anyway. But you also need the source of truth. You need that as, on your side. So when I, when I talk about this with teams, it's like it's not just about the lead. Um, it's about empowering you so that you can generate leads. All your marketing actions make it so that that when you ask for the the um, when you ask for the sale, when you ask for the conversion, it can occur. Versus, had you had no footprint, you're rolling dice, and I want to make it as easy. I want to make it as friction free when I do ask for a, a, an email, um, when I do ask for a sale. You, I want you to know the value. I want you to understand explicitly what the outcomes are going to be of working with me, right? Um, and I can't do that without content. And I can't do that with content in, without content that's throughout the cycle. Post-purchase, champion development content is the most underfunded content uh, because people are like, hey, I already got the sales. And if you're going to draw the funnel, it's, hmm, and then it goes out again. That's investment is needed there because no one's a better marketer than a, ha than a happy and successful customer. The champion, champion content, when you create content that your ideal successful client loves, that is your viral coefficient. That is your multiplying factor. Troubleshooting content, depending on the industry you're in. Also, you've got to sell that to the, the same way to the C-suite. And for example, say, do you want people learning about how to fix our software? On Stack Exchange, or do you want them to learn it on Mad Kudu? A lot of times people say, oh, we don't want people looking at our bugs. It's like, no, but if we've got bugs, own it, show people how to solve them, how to install it. I don't want them learning about that on Reddit. I want them learning about it from me as much as I can. They're going to learn stuff on Reddit if they're on Reddit, right? But I want, I want to control that conversation the best I can, make sure that I'm focused on them. And being truly understanding of that buyer journey 
doesn't end at the sale. It doesn't end at the lead capture. And if your team stops at the lead capture, you got to focus the mirror. If you if your team stops at the sale or I own the lead until I pass it to sales. How many times have you heard that? Then sales owns the opportunity um, or, you know, pick your favorite acronym, SQL, MQL, SQO, MKO, PQL. Um, but when it converts, it shouldn't drop ownership. It should gather moss. It should gather teams. So your money, you own it the whole way if you were the, if you were the origination source. Um, you own it if you were an owner and during a part. And at the end of the day, the cool thing about that, if you all own it, is you can all high five and feel really good about it. Um, and then you ride that customer all the way through until they're a champion. Um, that's how you bring teams together. Um, and that's how you get ownership that we created the long form guide to lead qualification. And it generates 10,000 visits a month. And if you ask anyone on that C-suite, the value that that brings, they might get that answer right. If not, they might say, ah, it's just eyeballs or oh, no conversion rate, zero conversion rate. Not really, don't really care. Let's not write any more of those what is pages, right? And that is bad business. <laughs> right. You know, it's it's super interesting and, and kind of two things that uh, that resonate with me. The first one is I think there's a there's a parallel to be made between if we look at how. To some extent, strategic sales ops can be compared to marketing ops. I, I think there's something that to some extent is unfair, like there's no reason why like sales ops has that relationship with sales that I think is way more strategic because it's like it, it's actually bringing insights to the VP sales of saying, hey, this is something you probably are not aware of that we have this issue at like stage two when this didn't happen and things like that. And that is kind of like opening the eyes to the VP sales like, oh, wow, okay, so now I know I need to coach my AEs or my SDRs depending on who's owning that stage of the funnel. And, right. and that is something that I feel marketing ops today doesn't do enough of. Uh, I know actually this is a question that um, that I mean we should answer right now that Chantel is asking of you know like specific stories of of how you do this. And I think this is exactly the point, right? Of you look at sales ops and they're often able to bring some strategic insight like that that becomes relevant. One insight, um, and this was on a we were doing a webinar, I think last week, um, with uh, with Clearbit and Elena Verna from like anyway, we're oh, nice. talking about uh, Miro, and one of the things that was really interesting in this like PLG, but it, it applies to to content, right? They were saying when they looked at the people who were requesting demos, the vast majority of the people requesting demos were not users of the product, and that to them was kind of mind boggling because they thought, well, you know, like we're a product led growth company, the, you know, the funnel is straightforward. People sign up for the product, they get value from it, they raise their hand to pay, they pay, they expand, happy customers, everyone's happy in the world. And what they found was that, well, actually the people requesting the demo are, demos are not product users. So how do we go and identify more of those? And I think what was really interesting there is like, this is an insight that should have come from marketing ops because it's, it's so, it's within the marketing team's data to say, well, if I look at demo requesters, what I see is that they're from a domain that's a user, but the person is not a user. Hey, CMO, did you know that this was happening? And similar for content, potentially the person downloading content 
is not the person requesting the demo. And just that simple kind of insight that you can bring and say, oh, if we look at it at the account level, we're seeing that the journey is actually more complex. There's different players and we need to make sure that we have more account level penetration and all these different players are interacting with us before we can expect to get a demo. That's like typically an insight into what the customer journey currently looks like that is going to really get the attention of the C-suite and will you know, present you um, in light as someone who's actually like really trying to understand the business and trying to improve it rather than someone who's just, you know, able to, you know, flag on subscribes and, and run nurture campaigns. I mean, as you're speaking, I'm getting chills because that's, I mean, that's so right on. Someone you should just go listen to that. It's, there's so many uh, uh, parts of that to unravel, but the ones that I would really be focused on would be if you sell a team solution, um, your makeup of leads could be PLG from the end user. It could be if you if you also provide a management insight layer. It could be from the manager. That manager may be a decision maker, or you could be getting it solely from a decision maker, a buyer of the software who is likely not going to be a regular user. So how can we be PLG when the buyer doesn't use the software? Okay, that's an extremely common state in B2B tech and, and where um, we are trying to sell a PLG solution to without people actually using the software, which is a total misnomer, right? It's, it's a little bit like, okay, how, is there a way for that person to achieve success? Or are we actually using lead signaling to tell us that they are an ideal customer. Um, and that's a big difference, right? And so the, the, the process there is if you are in a PLG only environment and you are trying to actually hold the line there, right? When you engage with that demo, by the way, this is a little prescriptive. I'm just gonna get into it. Uh, I like prescriptions sometimes. When I get into the discussion with that decision maker who may not be a user, I have to be extremely disciplined if that's a sales conversation. And I have to explain to them the buyer journey clearly. I have to actually, I'm not just trying to sell them the biggest package. That's where you have to be very disciplined as a sales rep. You have to define that buyer journey and say, hey, if you are a single user of this, it is $99 and here's what you're going to accomplish. If you have a team of 10, like you just said you do, um, uh, and you know, here's, what the likely value is going to be. If you're looking at our larger solution, this is what that enables. Um, you have to be very prescriptive and you say, hey, I'm not really comfortable with you just diving in, eating the whole onion and buying this thing that's just an aspirational goal, this you know, massive package just because I can get that number. Being um, uh, disciplined in that moment, if the person coming in filling out that form isn't going through the natural pathway that I've designed, that flywheel that I've designed. I've got to be disciplined and stick to that process during the sales process. And that's the guidance that your sales engineer, that's the guidance that your, um, your AE is going to give. It's like, yeah, I'm getting a lot of uh, CMOs here. Um, uh, Jeff, uh, I, and this is a real story, you know, I'm getting a lot of CMOs here. Um, you know, we're kind of, kind of doing like traditional uh, sales and growth type discovery and value selling. That's okay. 
just make sure that, it, that it's a disciplined, repeatable process or else you're going to get in trouble down the road. You're going to sell some bloated deals, some, some one of my uh, investors calls them plump deals. They're a little bit bigger than they probably should be. Um, and, and, and that is going to cause problems down the road. It may feel real good right now. It's going to cause problems down the road. That's a really great example of now don't devalue the, the, the user is another thing. A lot of times CMOs will look at the lead and go, oh, well, that's, that's just a, in my case, oh, they're just a, um, you know, a, a part-time writer for that big organization. That lead doesn't count. They don't have any decision-making um, uh, authority. Well, um, right? you know, that writer right. goes, goes through the process just like the lead writer. They have that experience they can see the value on their own if we're in a true pre-LG environment. Um, they then become the, the stone that gathers moss up the chain. If you want to fast track that, that's when marketing ops hops in and says, how do I attack that entire team? How do I focus some messaging on everyone that's in our CRM that is connected to that business? And so that's where that information sharing happens. Uh, but I love the, uh, the idea of, our marketing is attracting um, somebody who's not in the right department at all. What do we do? They're attracting the decision maker and we're a PLG offering where the decision maker doesn't use it um, or they're um, uh, attracting uh, the actual user. You've got to have use cases for all three and you have to truly understand the buyer journey so that you don't step out of line. <laughs> you know what I mean? And sometimes I feel like we, um, I don't know, this is my perception, but we're like going into this like modern era where like everything has to be automated. And, and to some extent we kind of, and I like, I'm going to get like boomer uh, comments on this, but like the whole thing of like writing personas and, and talking about, okay, like what is the journey for this persona is still incredibly valuable. And I think it is something that again, the marketing ops can bring to the table to identify, you know, blind spots for the, the C-suite. Another example that we had was this was, um, Back in the day, uh, I think when Segment raised their, um, I think it was their Series B, um, they they hired this like big consulting firm to determine like how they should evolve their pricing, and they were thinking of actually killing their uh, freemium tier and essentially start with like only like 15 day or 30 day free trial, but no freemium um, tier. And what they found, and this only happened because someone went through the data and looked at specific enterprise deals and found that. There were a bunch of enterprise deals where what was happening was this bigger company had hired someone who came from a smaller startup who had used Segment as a free user for the longest time. And when they joined the company, they say, well, we should use Segment for this. And the same thing for Market Muse, right? Like this freelancer that you're talking to and you're like, ah, yeah, I'm not sure there's value. Well, that freelancer, if they're any good, they're probably going to be hired at some point by a potential bigger organization. And you want that person to be the champion internally. But the only way you can identify that is combing a little bit through some of the deals. And this is where sometimes I have this thing where while everything in, is in the data, not everything is in aggregated data. It sometimes is very valuable to take, you know, cherry pick, take a couple of these deals, like take stories from the sales team, Go talk to them, understand like, what are they yes. saying? Take these insights from the sales team, back them with data and bring that back up to the C-suite. 
that's a that's an incredible way of establishing thought leadership within the organization by again bringing everything back to to the customer and it's very often blind spots that the the c-suite is going to have and yeah i think that that's something that again i see not frequently enough but when i do see it like these marketing ops or like growth folks like whoever they are they just like get catapulted in their career because it just like now they're like talking to the c-suite all the time like they you know start presenting board slides um it, it just like really quickly uh takes on i have a linkedin sales navigator filter that looks for people who work at current companies who used to work at a client that i know was successful with market muse and that list it's extremely powerful. Right. What you said is right on. I mean, and it's so commonly forgotten. No matter what their role and responsibility, well, one of our largest customers worked at a sales enablement company and left. We were like, oh no, he left. And went to a financial, a major financial services company that you probably have in your wallet and uh, immediately brought Market Muse with them. Um, and you know, that is going to happen a lot if you treat your leads with respect. Every lead deserves respect. And I think that that's where um, people go wrong. They, they're, they're so focused on disqualification. Ah, it pains me. Don't disqualify. Don't disqualify based on your role. You disqualify based on role. I got, I got one word for you. It starts with an M and there's a K in the middle and it's capitalized in camel case. And I'm not going to say it, but anyway. Yeah, if you disqualify based on role, I, you know, I, that's when you really need to talk to your C-suite. Yeah. Okay, move on. <laughs> um, well, yeah, one of the things, so we, we kind of touched on the fact that, um, and I love what you're saying about, you know, do you want people to learn about what you're doing on on Stack Overflow versus your, your own um, website? And this, to me, is kind of like opening the door to something that is, a, I feel, one of the hottest topics in, in marketing after ABM as a, mm-hmm. like kind of the, yeah, getting a lot of attention is intent data. So cool thing for those who don't know, um, Jeff worked for many years at Tech Target, um, which is you know one of the OG providers of intent data. Um, and so one of the things that I feel is not necessarily well understood by the community out there is how how is this intent data generated? Like where how do people know that this company is interested in that tool or that this other one? And I think it's it's critical to understand how it works to then determine how it could potentially fit into your strategy and what you want to do with it. So if you don't mind, maybe we can start there with kind of like how it works and then we can go into like thoughts about that uh, part of the industry. Yeah, sure. So there's a couple types of intent data uh, constructs uh, and then now they've become kind of layered. Uh, but uh, one of them is a walled garden of content uh, and a walled garden community. So what that, what that would mean is they are capturing data about activities, just like you would on your site, but it's a larger entity. It's capturing data on their communities, capturing data on their websites um, about content that is read. Um, and I, the way I like to think about this is almost uh, the way that the intent data world to uh, to be able to be uh, within the current guidelines for privacy um, has been shaped. Is It's not like a lead gen uh, play. It's a company level lead. So I'm actually getting information almost at a company level 
um, where then I'm aggregating that company level collection of information uh, and I'm trying to glean some sort of conclusion out of it. I'll give you an example, right? If four people from Matkudu are on a third party website, let's say G2 Crowd, and you're researching reviews on search engine optimization software, content strategy software, uh, and um, that may be a, 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 a signal of intent that you're researching a content strategy platform or a search engine optimization platform. G2 can then turn around and sell that information in some way, shape, and form to the entire category of people who provide uh, that solution. So they say, hey, Matt Kudu is looking for somebody in case you have something to do with that. Um, and that walled garden means I'm only using data within my content that I've gleaned. Um, the other major form is what would be referenced as a co-op of, uh, of sites. So uh, through one way or another, it may be opt-in because that person's getting a, a software uh, solution for free or for limited cost. Um, it may be uh, because they are publishers and they have pixels on their websites and they all have the same pixel. And that basically makes a shared co-op of websites that exist, almost like a, a user panel. It can also be browser uh, plugins. It can also be, unfortunately, malware. Uh, you know, and they can glean data about your viewing activity. And if they can associate you with a business, also, all of that data collects. So we might say, um, you know, I've classified. Uh, 100,000 articles in my co-op of a million websites in the in the category of CRM. So thus, if 45 people from Boeing read CRM articles this month, I'm going to be able to aggregate that and say, Boeing may be looking for a CRM solution. And that's the logic. It, I'm either looking at a large pool of sites in aggregate, or I'm looking at a targeted walled garden. The walled garden can be aggregated by a third-party data source. So I can go and say, it, it's, it's kind of a little bit of a trick, right? I go company level to protect against privacy, but then I can use a third-party data aggregator to then show you the entire org structure, right? So I'm taking away, anonymizing, and then I'm not de-anonymizing. And, uh, and I like that word because it's, it illustrates that I'm being a little facetious, right? I'm de-anonymizing the company level lead and giving you what that work looks like or I'm cross-referencing it with your CRM, right? And if I can cross-reference it with your CRM, I see if you have any mad kudu people in the CRM. Um, so I'm actually taking Francis's experience on my site, reading, saying that he's interested in, in this, and then I'm sending you that mad kudu is interested, and then you cross-reference it with your CRM, and Francis is in there. It's like I sold the lead, uh, but I didn't. Uh, and, and that's not a, a, a problem with privacy because I've done it, wound it back and then wound it forward using uh, data integration. So hopefully that makes sense. But basically I watch people doing stuff. I have classified that stuff as being associated with a category. And then I sell to people who want to buy information on that category. Right. Easy and, way and, I think the, the, and, and the part that's interesting is that the, the, the tracking of, of people interacting with something has to happen on a web property that you 
manage or have some strong affiliation. So it's not there's it's not like it's tracking Google searches. Uh, it's literally saying if someone searches or like hits a web page that you have your pixel on, then and only then does it um, go through. So it's like it's this is what you know. I guess like G two is basically you know they're going off to Gartner. Right? Gartner used to be historically this thing where and Gartner tracks that data. They know exactly because you have to log in to search on Gartner. Given how expensive right. it is, they know exactly which person is looking for what kind of content, and then that becomes intent data that they can reuse for the vendors that work with them to pay to be on the magic quadrant. And G2 was saying, well, that's like, you know, like, there's no reason why it would have to be a pay um, pay to play. Mm -hmm. Cute enough now, you know, G2, you have to pay to, to get to, to be on the platform, but um, you can yep. still have a page. You can't manage it without paying. But they're doing the same thing of saying, well, we're putting your page out there so that people can find you, but we're also going to resell like who's finding you to whoever is the, you know, going to be bidding. Um, and I think there's like, sometimes like people kind of, um, forget about, or, or don't realize how it's actually working. And, um, and I don't think as far as I know that like, you know, things like stack overflow, for example, are part of this, uh, of this co-op. So it's, it's really like very specific types of, of websites, which attract, specific types of, of people and company, which is why intent data isn't uniformly uh, sold, I guess, across the, the companies out there, because it requires some specific type of behavior, like going on these kind of syndicate uh, um, content platforms. Yeah, it's just the syndicate is a great way to describe it, uh, the co-op side. So and you've got a lot of different providers and everybody wants to get in this game because this game can be big bucks because it's selling. It's one to many. Right. You can sell one to many. And so you can actually sell the same company level excitement or interest or surge or whatever the name is. You can sell that to many. Um, the the thing you said something that was really important. It's not like that, you know, the Google search. Right. It's not like, you know, any of the sources. And that's where it gets into a, a, a little bit of a wait a second. The reliability of the data. What's up? Because. Um, you know, they that user could have come in and read that article for any number of reasons. It could have been influenced by paid traffic. It could have been influenced by leads. Oh, sorry, by links that were um, advertisements, banner. It could have been influenced by paid uh, pay-per-click. It could have been influenced by content syndication, right? Because I know that if I can get enough eyeballs across this page that some percentage of them will be from Boeing's of the world and the Boeing's of the world are fun, are fun to sell. Um, so that's where you get into the, um, and it also, right. The co-op, the co-op co might have a ton of websites about a particular topic. Right. Uh, and so naturally it's going to yield more of those types of sites. So it's the, the biggest kind of the critical flaw that I see is that we are we're, we're 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 creatures of classification right and so we associate naturally and that's what humans are taxonomies and ontologies and you think in terms of categories and then you assign values to categories what you're actually saying is people who read this collection of articles right some of them they, they are they work at this place and you're making an inference and you're assigning value to a category but 
you know, you don't know whether that category is on the money. You don't know whether what stage of the funnel this piece was. You don't know how the traffic got there, whether it was legit, whether it was manipulated, whether it was paid. So you really, you have the, you have the responsibility of reconciliation. Um, if you can tie that intent data to, um, you know, to behavior on your site, if you can tie that to other types of behaviors, um, then you can start to validate it to the last mile. And I think that's really one of the big missing pieces here is it can provide a lot of stuff. It's going to provide a lot of noise. It can provide a lot of good, but it does require a reconciliation step. And it's because you don't have that source. If it was clear where the traffic came from, right, and to what pages, you can start to make more informed decisions about whether you want to apply your marketing dollars. Um, but it feels really good, right, when someone says Boeing surged and you get them into the phone, you're like, oh, wow, there actually is someone at Boeing looking for this software, right? But then you're thinking to yourself, was that a placebo or was it truly predictable? And I think that's where the next phase of questions are going to come in this space. It's, is, did, could I like things that make my sales team feel good and then they sell more, right? Whether it's a placebo or not, I will go buy extra placebos, right? If, it, if they end up having the North Star, but was it truly um, causated? Uh, you know, was it truly causation? That's where, um, did I truly make more correct decisions than I would have? You know, that's where the, uh, the quality of that intent data uh, then is really, really important. And I think that's one place where um, the reconciliation, I think I called Matt Kudu the, uh, the sheriff of intent data. Uh, uh, but, you know, that's where the reconciliation is, is, is critical um, because I get so much G2 data about people looking for content strategy and SEO data, SEO software. Um, and, uh, you know, if you don't feel good about it, if you don't feel like it is inst instructive, if you don't feel like it's predictive, your marketing team and your sales team is going to start to ignore it. Right. Um, and that that's the disaster. Yeah, we, we yeah. had uh, um, Jasmine Carnell on, I think, a, a week or two ago. And, and one of the things that I thought she said that was that, that really struck a chord was she was talking about the relationship between marketing ops and sales. And, and she kept on saying, you know, it's important to think about how as a salesperson, how would I want to receive this information? How do I want um, what do I want the relationship to be with marketing? And I think. You know, what you're saying about the placebo effect of intent is, is really relevant where I think there's this there's a duality there as a marketing ops when you're you know when you know you're being told oh we're gonna bring intent into the company there's a lot of folks who are kind of skeptical and generally they're like very data oriented mops where you're like ah this is just it's noise sure like we could contact the same companies without the intent information we'd get the same result and very often I mean I have yet to see that that assumption is wrong like I so far it's, it's really, it's, it doesn't add much incremental value from a purely statistical perspective. However, from a rep, now if you think of you know, yourself being a, a sales rep, how excited are you to go after Boeing because you get a signal that Boeing is actually looking into CRMs? Like that, you feel like you have this competitive edge and you're, you've been given a tool that's gonna make you outperform the competition um, and, and you're kind of like happy that your team is spending those extra bucks in giving you that insight and you're willing to potentially work that lead or that account a little bit harder because of that information. And that's where 
as a mops person, you have to reconcile the two elements of on the one side, you know, you want to make sure that you're not just, um, you know, you know, your marketing budget and you help your CMO make sure that the marketing budget is allocated towards towards things that are going to, you know, drive success. But at the same time, you have to realize that, you know, success comes also from adoption of, of tools and how well sales is going to be able to sell. And that's where something like like intent I've seen has, you know, drives a lot of success because people are excited to go after these companies that are um, that are showing surges. Yeah, it's a, yeah, exactly right. And, and I think that that's where the um, the value comes and it, it, it is a parallel to, um, you know, having another it's another uh, arrow in your in your quiver when you are a sales rep, if you're using, let's say you, you use, um, you know, an activity data platform for your own site. When you go into a sales call, do you know all the articles they read on your website? Do you know all the webinars they registered for and, and whether they attended, how frequently they've been to your site? You know, that is also very powerful. So it's another one of those things that gets you into saying, oh, wow, this could mean that they're more interested. Right. So, but it's, it's, it's this cognitive uh, connection to where did it, it, it was their activity in that other place truly indicative of that. Um, and if I'm having to prospect and go cold outbound as a function of this intent data, um, uh, I really, really have to have the confidence and rely and, and, and rely on it. If I am, pairing it with CRM and doing it as kind of a managed nurture concept, um, you know, that's where I, I like to measure both and see did, did the one actually have an impact and or did the other. Um, I, the latter, certainly I have some correlation to getting people excited easier on the cold side. There's a, a, a Predictability, uh, you can you can really set your watch to the uh, to the lack of uh, impact that it drives, and I know that's what you were inferring. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and ultimately, again, it's you know if it uh, if it drives the right kind of uh, behavior, then then that's a positive. But I think it's it goes right. back to like that. This is where again, like uh, you know, a, a MOPS professional can really show some strategic insight and, and help. Um, figure out what's the best path uh, moving forward. Um, anyway, and I, I know we're uh, we're at time and want to be respectful of um, everyone's lunch break, at least on the on the West Coast and uh, early afternoon for the East Coast. And uh, on that note, the cool thing is uh, Jeff and I are actually going to be continuing the conversation uh, next week. Um, we'll, we'll send a link, uh, and I think there is one in the chat to register um, to this webinar. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, on the content side, how do you establish metrics that are relevant to determine how much potential pipeline your um, your content is fueling in, and and yeah, how do you, you know, how can you measure um, when you're potentially like so far up in the funnel? Uh, so I'm really excited to. Um, to continue that conversation. Uh, Jeff, thanks a ton for joining. Everyone who is uh, uh, here today, also thank you for joining. Um, hope the conversation was helpful. Uh, and Jeff, yeah, do you have any kind of closing thoughts or um, should we pick it up uh, next week? 
I'm looking forward to next week and thanks everybody for joining. Um, you know, I, I think we really covered what intent data can mean for you and how to discuss it internally and what the opportunity is, what to watch out for, what to ask for. Um, if you want any questions for me, Jeff at marketmuse.com, uh, Jeffrey underscore coil on Twitter. Give me a shout out. Um, I answer everything. I'd give you my cell phone if I could. Thank you so much, Francis. And thanks for everybody for, uh, for, uh, for joining us and, and setting this up. I, I love, these are two of my most, the topics I'm most passionate about. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the next hour won't even be long enough either, but cheers. Awesome. Thanks for joining.